0: high five casino. casino social casino fun with real prizes and big vegas hits have you had your high five moment today
1: hey there i'm bob before high five casino my high fives were more like low threes but after my high five moment boom high fives all around
0: that's the spirit high five casino is turning every moment into a high five moment visit h5c.fun that's h the number five c dot F-U-N, and start spinning and winning today high five casino high five casino, high five casino is a social casino only. no purchase necessary Boy, where prohibited play responsible terms and conditions apply See website for details
1: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always, by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, And we're coming to you with our second-to-last episode of 2022, and we've got a lot to get into tonight, including projected rosters for the Orioles' minor league affiliates in 2023, going all the way from Norfolk down to the FCL. So we're going to have a pretty in-depth look at that. In addition, we're going to talk about some free agent signings that the Orioles have made in the last week, including Adam Frazier and the return of Michael Gibbons. That'll be on tonight's episode, but we'll start off with the projected rosters. If you go over to baltimoresportsandlife.com now, you can see the full list written by Bob. And Bob, as he does every year, takes a really thorough look at the depth chart throughout the Orioles organization, puts together a starting nine for each team, plus events, plus a starting rotation and a bullpen, and then assigns them what he labels a watchability rating, which kind of gives us a snapshot of how much talent that team doesn't does or doesn't figure to have going into next season. So Bob, just um, give uh, the listeners a little bit of background on the process, how you come up with the watchability ratings and what your impressions are as you look at this list as a whole.
2: Yeah. It's uh, one of the more fun things I get to do as uh, we go deep into the off season. And, you know, there's a couple months still before spring training starts, but you know, at the end of every season, it's sad that it's over, but it's also like you get a little burnt out. You need a break from baseball. And basically my process of writing this article is what gets me excited and recharged to uh, get ready for the next season. And yeah, I just take a look at how the year ended as far as the rosters are concerned. You know, guys that will repeat the level, guys that are going to probably get bumped up a level and putting these rosters together. Yeah, it can be tough because especially right now with the Orioles system so deep and talented. It's like, okay, I have six starting pitchers in each of these rotations and still have to relegate talented guys that I think could be in a starting rotation at the minor league level to the bullpen to start. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and you just get to put these names in places and look forward to going and see them play at those places.
1: And on that note, we'll start at Norfolk where Kind of a veteran influence on the Tides roster, especially on the position player side with some players that the Orioles have acquired this offseason. But you do also have some top prospects slated to start there, including Connor Norby, Colton Kowser, and Joey Ortiz in the starting lineup. And then some really interesting arms on the pitching side, including Drew Rom, Ryan Watson, Justin Armbruster, and Chris Vallemont, who is slated to return to Norfolk. After a, a little bit of a breakout last summer of Bowie, before more up and down result once he got to triple a and then also a good bullpen where you have a couple of arms who arguably could start in the major leagues including nick Vespi and mike ballman so bob i'll start with you on norfolk uh kind of give us your takeaways from this projected roster
2: yeah i think with the orioles getting back into contention or hoping to at least you know ended last year on a positive record aren't doing as much through free agency as a lot of Orioles fans may want. But I think you can just see the way they're attacking minor league depth, minor league signings, waiver claims, and just the, the way the roster looks to be going to be constructed at Norfolk this year. It's a lot more like who are guys that if we suffer an injury at the major league level, these guys can come up, have experience at, in the major leagues and can step in and produce at a decent level. Like you see the minor league signings, Franchi Cordero, Nomar Mazzara, uh, Josh Lester and, and Lewin Diaz was a waiver claim who would have to pass the waivers, but you know, it's potential that he could do that. And same on the pitching staff with like Spencer Watkins is a guy that you don't want to count on, but if you need him in a pinch, former guests of the podcast will step up and do a good job. And you also have these high end prospects in the, in our top 10, like you said, Norby Kowser and Ortiz, as well as Hudson Haskin, who is a little underrated in the 15 range, but, Maverick Hanley as well. Like all of these guys you could see getting a shot at the major league level at some point in 2023, depending on how things break. And the pitching staff, I think, is really underrated with Drew Rahm, recently added to the 40-man, Ryan Watson, minor league pitcher of the year, Justin Armbruster, great guest to the podcast as well. And you could have Noah Denoyer up from AA, spoiler alert, uh, in quick amount of time as well. So I think it's just a deep roster of veterans and guys who will probably – be veterans before long
0: yeah this this projected norfolk roster makes me wish i still uh, lived down there in the hampton roads region because i spent many years watching some really bad norfolk teams and like even someone like me who can sit here and find the uh the, the random bullpen arm to get excited about it was tough to watch those norfolk teams uh, most nights but uh i think with some of the veterans projected veterans here you see what type of player the Orioles are targeting to fill these spots and it's guys who hit the ball incredibly hard guys with good prospect pedigree. So even those, those veteran names, your Diaz, if he slips through waivers, which I hope he does, I feel like he's one or two on the DFA block. Uh, and speaking of, you know, Michael Gibbons signing right before he came on air, like that you know, Diaz could be one of those guys, but um, with these guys, Daz Cameron, even Josh Lush, like these are guys with a little bit more in the tank and they all hit the ball incredibly hard. That thing is going to make, Harbor Park, which has always kind of looked like a much better pitcher's park than hitter's park, especially with that wind coming off the river and right right center field. I don't think that's going to be uh, an issue anymore, but I think you nailed the prospects right as far as looking at this roster and which prospects are going to be uh, on Norfolk's roster. Got it right. I picked out one name, though, in particular that is really standing out to me, and it's Hudson Haskin. And you kind of referenced there by saying he's a little underrated. I said it last year, and I'm going to say it again. Like I think Hudson Haskin is uh, extremely underrated in this system. Maybe not extremely, but vastly underrated in this system. I think people focus too much on that unorthodox, quote-unquote, swing of his, but I think it's kind of irrelevant, and he did a really good interview, I think, sometime last year, talking about that swing and how people have had comments about it for years, and yet he's still succeeding. He had an 821 OPS in AA last season, 15 home runs, 126 WRC+, plus, all solid numbers. And one thing that I kept seeing in like the post-draft reports and early prospect reports about him was that if he starts to swing for more power, the strikeouts are probably going to increase. Well, he went from five home runs to 15 home runs last year at A, and the strikeout rate only jumped up a few ticks to 21%, which I don't think is alarming. And the walk rate was identical compared to last year, 9.2%. So he's a true center field prospect who's going to hold that position down in the major leagues when, if he gets there, I think he's just been a very quiet career for Hudson Haskin. Um, so I think there's the, the past him. And there's another guy too, that I think is criminally underrated, but I'm going to save that one for next week's show. Um, but right now it's Hudson Haskin. Rom, same thing. It's looking at the pitchers like Drew Rom. I, I still, I hate, hate, hate this. He's a soft tossing lefty. Moniker that gets put on him—he's not—he's not Alex Wells. He's not Zach Lowther Like he—the velo increases every year for real. The multiple arm angles. He's been—he came out with that interview when he was added to the forty-man roster about the changeup. That's something he's really working with. I mean, you look at his career numbers. I pulled him up here. He's twenty-five and nine with a three-point-four-one ERA, four uh, hundred fourteen strikeouts and three hundred fifty-three career innings. All while being between two and five years younger than the competition at every stop uh and you look at the era the first time in his career double AA and triple a last year he had an era over four but the fip was 3.62 and 3.16 in billion norfolk and those were the lowest fips he had since rookie ball so i think rom is primed for a pretty big year anchoring that norfolk rotation and yeah that group of watson arm Valmonts valamont i'm just hoping one of these guys at least really breaks out like whether it's a starter reliever i don't really care but you know Brian Watson was minor league pitcher of the year, uh, huge strikeout numbers. Didn't really walk anybody in Double A. Justin Armbruster talked a lot about in reports and interviews about if Armbruster really develops that slider, he could separate himself, and that's what he developed uh, last year in Bowie. So I think he could really separate himself. And Valamont's always had the stuff. I mean, that turnaround he had in Double A from the tw- being in the Twins organization to when he came over and started in Bowie, just an incredible turnaround. I think a lot of people are already willing to like. Ready to DFA him today, like tonight. But I, I don't, I'd be shocked if that happens before the season starts. And Valamont's someone that I'm, I'm still really intrigued to watch. But one of those three guys, I think, is going to take a huge leap forward next year.
1: Yeah. I think, I feel like Haskin is the kind of guy that most organizations would be happy to have in the back part of their top 10 list. And he's nowhere near the top 10 in the Orioles system. Um, You know, in, improving power numbers, good center fielder. And I think if he gets a full healthy season at Norfolk, you're going to see good things out of him. I do, before we move on to Bowie, I do want to ask one question of you, Bob, which is Jordan Westberg's not in this lineup. So where do you see Jordan Westberg starting the season?
2: How could I forget Jordan Westberg? No, <laughs> I, uh, I predicted him to either start the major leagues, geez, start the major leagues, start the season at the major league level or be traded in a trade for a pitcher. So out of those 66.7% chance of not being on the A roster, of course there's a chance he could start in A at least at the beginning of the year. Just move Josh Lester to the bench and put Westbrook there for a couple of weeks until he gets called up. But I'd also like to just note that the, the bullpen is pretty ridiculous at uh, Norfolk here, especially if things go the way that I predicted with, Guys like Nick Vespi and Mike Bauman, who had success at the Major League level uh, last year back in the AAA bullpen. I mean, Vespi, I'd love to see him get a shot to just stick in the Major League level. But, you know, we have a loaded bullpen and he has options. So I feel like he might be another up and down guy this year. You also have the uh, AFL guys, Ethan Lucas and Nolan Hoffman. And last year's AFL, Connor Loprich with Cole Uvila coming back after a nice year last year. And my guy, Adam Stauffer, who... I will continue to boost up no matter what, you know, the bullpen. And Mm -hmm. even Vivek says Yanni or Cano is an option. A lot of these guys, the Orioles just signed to minor league deals today. So bullpen in in Norfolk should be pretty good.
0: Yeah. I I really love this bullpen and those three minor league signs they made today. Definitely. um, We're already got some wrinkles thrown into this projected roster, but yeah. And. Another thing back to Hudson Haskin, too, I forgot to mention. He only played in 26 games at high A before starting last year in double A. So, again, just something else to consider when thinking about Hudson Haskin. But, like, this bullpen, Mike Bauman, I just think, just leave him in the bullpen, honestly, and let's go from there. I am still haven't changed my mind there. But elsewhere, like, Nolan Hoffman, Easton Lucas, Connor Loprich. Lucas had a good season in Bowie and has gained a ton of steam this offseason, especially when he was in the Arizona Fall League. Nolan Hoffman had an unbelievable Arizona fall league. And yeah, what the K to strikeout, the strikeout to walk numbers were unbelievable uh, in the AFL. We just didn't get to see him last year because of injuries. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the majors at some point in 2023, assuming all things go right for him to start the year. And Connor Loprich, honestly, I think he's someone that no one else is going to talk about, but I think the stuff plays pretty well. And he's got like identical numbers between lefties, righties. So He's an interesting arm and Cole Uvila, just shout him out. Rule five pick, minor league rule five pick last year. I think he started out. Was it Uvila, Vespi, and um uh who was it that he got cut? There's another reliever. Those guys did not allow a run like ever to begin the season. Um Vespi kept that streak going. Obviously, the other guy, I can't remember who it was now who got I cut. Right hander who's been Tim in it a while. Tim Norton. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he got cut you've like stayed in Norfolk all season and like look at his splits he had one bad month month of june was a disaster at 11.74 era but the rest I mean zero runs two runs one run three runs one run like he had a really good year except one bad month so I'm
2: curious to see what he can do next year if he gets a shot finally yeah I gave this roster an eight out of ten do you guys agree with that should we, we should go and see if if I'm way off on these mm-hmm. I'm pretty high on all of these rosters to to be honest, but I feel like that's just because ta- there's too much talent in depth to the system. Yeah, I'm trying to see what you
0: gave the other ones without spoiling it and see like where they rank. It's definitely not my favorite, which is like there's Connor Norby and Colton Kalsar and Joey know, Ortiz right? and maybe Jordan Westbrook, like all in this lineup. But it's not my favorite. But yeah, I think that sounds about right.
1: Yeah, I think that's reasonable, and I mean, I, I'm sure that there is a little bit of. A balancing act, too, that goes into whether or not a team has a lot of prospects versus whether it's competitive. And Norfolk figures to be competitive with a lot of prospects early on, but then the potential for things to turn over. And if they do turn over, there could be some insurgents from Bowie. Now, the only player who figures to be in our top 10, or at least one of the players is definitely going to be in our top 10 from this list, is last week's guest, Kobe Mayo. Um, but you also have Heston Kerstad. Projected for Billy's lineup along with Daryl Hernays and a couple of guys that I think we could see better production from this year. And actually, three guys in John Rhodes, Cesar Prieto, and Dante Williams. Uh, that's part of the lineup. It also includes TT Bowens, Colin Burns, Connor Pavloni, with a bench of Randy Florentino, Adam Hall, Billy Cook, and Zach Watson. So a lot of speed there. And then, meanwhile, the pitching staff, if you want to look, for breakout candidates, uh, you might want to look at Bowie's pitching staff a little bit. You have Kay Pilbitt and Chase McDermott who were brought over in deadline deals last year for Jorge Lopez and Trey Mancini, respectively. On the Verge's favorite, Gene Pinto, along with Carlos Tavera, Peter Van Loon, and Noah DeNoyer, who probably could go to AAA, uh, but a lot of depth at Norfolk combined with some missed times of injury last year puts him back to Bowie. And then in the bullpen, you got the likes of Cade Stroud, Ignacio Feliz, Brandon Young, Houston Roth, Xavier Moore, Daniel Lloyd, and Clayton McGinnis. So her, certainly a pretty high upside bullpen there in Bowie. Um, Nick, I'll start with your thoughts on this team. I'll start with the
0: bats and just say like, there's a lot of home run potential with this lineup. Like Del Hernandez has real pop. Kirstad, we saw what he was doing out in Arizona. He could put up those same numbers in Bowie. We don't need to explain Kobe Mayo any further. Like TT Bowens, I, uh, those numbers in Aberdeen, I think we're a product of Aberdeen. We know TT Bowens hits the ball extremely hard. I was hoping he would have got promoted to Bowie at some point last year just to see what he has. Um, but I think with some of the other guys like Kerstad, I think that is right that he starts in Bowie. I don't know if I think that Arizona Folly campaign he had really cemented that for me. Like, I doubt he goes back to Aberdeen. Uh, get him to Bowie. Coming off the hot AFL experience, it's a hitter's ballpark. Let's see what you got. Um, I'm just waiting for the point where he's adjusting to double-A and he's hitting, like, barely 200 two weeks into the year, and people are going to label him a bust because eh, whatever. But um, give Heston Kirsten some time. He'll be all right. But uh, I picked another guy out of this lineup that I'm most intrigued by here, and it's it's John Rhodes, uh, to be completely honest. Like shot John Mioli, his sub stack again, maximizing playoff odds, go subscribe. He had a piece the other week last week, uh, talking about looking at underlying batted ball data and picking out some guys who he thinks could break out in 2023. And John Rhodes was one of his guys. And he noted 15% in zone whiff rate and 19% chase rate, both of which are very good. We don't have access to those numbers, but you can see like a swing strike rate on fan graphs. And John Rhodes, if you go back the last couple of years, he's been in the organization I think only like Joey Ortiz and Adley Rutschman are they lead the way as far as best swinging strike rates in this organization, but John Rhodes is right there. And I just think that he's already one of the most athletic players in the system. He was hurt for so much the last year. I think he had that wrist injury that I think probably just lingered for a lot longer than he had hoped. So he hasn't really played much. He doesn't swing and miss a lot of that positive swing decisions. Uh, he's kind of one of the Kings of that in this organization, so I think if he comes back next year and he's fully healthy and he begins in Bowie, I certainly believe John Rhodes is probably one of the bigger guys to watch in terms of uh guy bats at least that could break out here
2: in Bowie. Yeah, I completely agree with Rhodes. I think he, if he didn't hurt his wrist, I think last year would have been that big breakout that uh, we kind of called coming into 2022. But if he's healthy and starting in 20, oh God, starting in double A Bowie after getting a taste of it, even if he was a little bit, hurt at the end of last year. I feel like he could really take off. And obviously Kobe Mayo, I mean, he just turned 21 years old. He got a taste of double A last year. I could honestly just see him becoming one of the top 10 prospects in baseball before too long, going into next season and just going off. Heston Kerstad, how exciting. Dale Hernandez, like this is maybe not, you know, have a bunch of top end guys that are going to, you know, hope that we can get them to Baltimore by July or anything like that. But this is the next wave. And I think there are some breakout candidate candidates. Cesar Prieto might have a better second year than first year as he gets more adjusted. But it's like Vivek said, this is the best uh, or at least my favorite rotation in the minor leagues coming into next year with Cade Povich, really serious breakout candidate in the Jorge Lopez trade. Noah Denoyer. Yeah. I think you could make a case to put him in triple A to start the year, but uh, it's a little bit loaded, and I went with Stallings just because he pitched in double-A all of last season over him to start the year. Chase McDermott, big upside. Our favorite Gene Pinto, Carlos Tavera, kind of like John Rhodes on the pitching side. I feel like last year would have been his breakout if he didn't get hurt, and I'm going to expect him to break out this season instead. Peter Van Loon had a great season, and there's three starters in the bullpen. Houston Roth, Ignacio Feliz, Brandon Young coming back from injury, but you could see some tandems here, or at least four or five innings like they did last year. And I think every time you turn on a Bowie Baysox game, you're going to at least have a starting pitcher on the mound that's well worth watching.
1: McDermott is a guy that really interests me because you have to watch this stuff to believe it, especially that fastball. Um, you know, I, I think I said that after one of his starts when he got to Aberdeen, it almost looks like his fastball approaches the zone, suspends itself in midair, and then gains velocity and rises up at the last minute. That's not the kind of thing you see very often. And his Bowie numbers last year are a little bit deceiving when you consider that he was lit up in his first two outings. Um, one against Somerset, the Yankees affiliate and then Altoona in the outing after that, the Pirates affiliate, but then he was pretty effective the rest of the way there, including nine strikeouts and four and two thirds in a game against Richmond. That was his second to last start of the season. So there was a little bit of a positive upward trend with McDermott at the end of last season that I kind of hope carries over. And same thing with Povitz, you know, Povitz, some ups and downs at Bowie, but there's a reason to believe that with a longer run there, he's going to pitch well. And uh, one thing I would also encourage our listeners to do, and I'll remind them of this as the season gets closer is to really watch that home run to fly ball rate at Bowie. Uh, In the last few years, it has been a home run hitters park. So, you might have a pitcher there whose numbers are a little bit better than what they're indicating because that home run to fly ball rate might be higher than it would be elsewhere.
0: And I just think with this staff, specifically Povich and McDermott, like I, this is definitely probably one of my favorite pitching staffs in terms of like more proven talent. Uh, this is definitely going to be the top rotation and bullpen to watch. But I think with Povich and McDermott, like you see a lot of still like kind of negative talk around these two guys, because you just looking at the surface level, double eight numbers, like Zach mentioned, yeah, they're not super encouraging. And also just the fact, you know, going back to the training and Jorge Lopez deals, I don't know, like they're all connected to this. So maybe they're always going to be connected to that. So I don't know if people just still have that on their mind, but like, from what we've heard, if I remember correctly, right, like the organization really didn't adjust much with these guys when they came over. So you got a guy specifically in Cade Povich who didn't really pitch too much before he came into the Oriel system, at least in the pro ranks. I think he flashed some of the best stuff in the entire organization behind Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall. And like, I, I just think that if you look at Pull up his trying to pull up his numbers here if this thing will load. Yeah, just 10 pro innings in 2021, and then he had 90 innings under his belt before being promoted to Bowie for his last six appearances. So, I just think trying to adjust to double A at the age of 22, so he was still young for that level, trying to adjust to double A in a brand new organization that I don't think really put their full touches on him yet. Uh, and you know, crazy ending this college year with COVID, getting traded midseason, which I think was a surprise, all of that coming together. I have to just think 2023 is a stable year for him. He goes into offseason with the Orioles, give him a full plan of what they want to see changed and tweaked. And he works on that. I think he flashes you know, top 10 prospect stuff in this system. No doubt. Um, and Chase McDermott, like I remember watching him and writing about him when he was at ball state and just, he comes from an underrated program. Ball state is just one of the more underrated programs in terms of pumping out pitching prospects. I think uh, I, if it clicks for him, I'd be more inclined to kind of view him as a bullpen piece. That control is a bit of still an issue for him, to be honest. But even if it clicks and he becomes a dominant bullpen piece, like you mentioned that fastball, it really does. It literally it's like a magic trick sometimes where it will just stop and then shoot up. Uh, It's unbelievable to watch. But he's got to be able to control it. That's his big thing coming into 2023.
1: We'll go down to Aberdeen now where there is a lot of talent on the offensive side, but again, some pitchers who could be – guys that really rise up the system this year. The 2022 draft class is mostly present in Aberdeen with the likes of Judd Fabian, Dylan Beavers, and Max Wagner, along with one of last year's best breakout stories, Frederick Ben Cosme, who was one of two notable international prospects that would be in Aberdeen's lineup to be joined by Isaac DeLeon. Should also mention two other 2022 draftees and catcher Silas Arduan and shortstop Adam Crampton. Certainly give this lineup, along with Jacob Teeter, who missed a lot of last year with injury, uh, some upside. Meanwhile, on the pitching side, Trace Bright, a pick out of Auburn in last year's draft, to be part of a rotation that could also include Davy Cruz and Juan De Los Santos. Two good breakout stories from Del Marva last year, and along with a lot of interesting arms at the back of that rotation and in the bullpen. So after what was one of the best teams in Iron Bird's history last year, came within one win of the South Atlantic league championship. Uh, the Ironbirds at least should start out next year. as a pretty good club. Again, your thoughts on that, Bob, I'm guessing you're planning on taking the short trip over to Lido's field at Ripken stadium uh, a lot early next year.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think this is the second year in a row where they have the highest watchability rating for me coming into the season, just because, well, it seems to be a trend with the, the Orioles, they're going to pick college bats a lot in the draft, and they tend to start in Aberdeen the following year. But, you know, Fabian, Beavers, Wagner, and Trimble from the year before, but dealing with injuries, that's a, a loaded start to a lineup. And then you add in two of my personal favorites, De Leon and Ben Cosme breaking out from the international scene, Jacob Teeter trying to stay healthy, get back on track, and then you mentioned Arduan and Crampton. Just feel like what a great lineup right there. And the bench, you got Adam back. Another high-profile catcher from this last draft, Noel Berth Romero, Trenton Craig, Isaac Belney, just a bunch of guys that I enjoy watching. And this pitching staff is like, watch out, breakout central. I feel like at least three or four of these guys are going to be some of my breakout picks for next year. Trace Bright, seems like there's a lot of helium for him already since being drafted. Davy Cruz and Juan Daler-Santos already kind of broke out, but let's see if they can do what Gene Pinto did this past year and have some success at the at the next step on the stop. Cameron Weston shows some promise. Moises Chasse as well. And in the bullpen, I just want to see that seven footer Jared Beck start hitting 100 miles per hour. Randy Johnson, let's go.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this projected roster and I see Judd Fabian, Dylan Beavers and Reed Trimble as a starting outfield. And if that's the case, like personally, that is my favorite positional group in the entire system based on these preseason predictions. Um, and I pulled up John Mioli, shout out to John again, uh, an old piece he had from earlier in the season on Judd Fabian with some quotes here from Brink Ambler, who was the hitting coach down at Delmarva last, last season. But he said, there's not really a whole lot of ways you can say it. I've seen a lot of really good players come through here, and Judd has been different. Offensively, he's been different. He controls the zone elitely, despite the fact that he was getting almost singularly game planned for every game he was in the lineup. Guys would pitch him so counter to every scouting report that we had. He was basically in a different universe as far as that was concerned. Guys were throwing him right on right change ups, throwing him totally different things than they would throw anybody else. A ton of credit to Judd. He was super mature in the sense of understanding that being willing to change his game plan, think along from at bat to at bat, think about what makes sense. Super high praise there for Judd Fabian. Um, 22 games as a pro last year, OPS over 1,000, 19 walks, 21 strikeouts. We sent Cole Sulcer and Tanner Scott for Antonio Velez, Kevin Guerrero, Yaki Rivera, and Judd Fabian. That's a beautiful, beautiful trade. Um, I mentioned the, the hot take I have about Reed Trimble. I got to save that for next week again, so I'm not going to spoil anything there, but Trimble – A lot of good things happening for me, the pitching, I said it last year, and I'm going to say it again. This is the staff again where watch out for your breakouts. You look at that projected pitching staff, just like last year. Well, I don't know what we had projected for Aberdeen last year, but I think the break camp roster episode that we did, there was, it was Gene Pinto and then a bunch of guys, unless you follow this minor season pretty closely, there's a lot of guys who weren't on top 30 list. A lot of guys, people really hadn't heard of. And then we saw Armbruster breakout, Noah DeNoyer breakout, Carlos Tavera breakout. This is that group again. Um, Trace Bright, you mentioned a lot of helium since he's been drafted. Davey Cruz Rosen, he's became a top 30 prospect on Baseball America's list last year. Even if he starts in Delmarva, I think he spends the majority of his time in Aberdeen. Juan De Los Santos is the name that I've pushed out very hard since the beginning of last year. I'm going to keep doing it. Moises Chaze, I think... He had a couple injuries. He had a freak injury too, at the beginning of the year, like slipping off the mound or hitting a, a weird patch in the pigeon mound. But I think he could be a guy, one of these in- younger international guys who if his offseason weight room program is legit and he continues to grow into that body and get stronger, he's going to have a really big breakout uh, next year. I just think like Aberdeen has got to give us a good camera. Give us a good announcer who actually talks to players and isn't just generically calling these games. I need good visuals of uh, this Aberdeen pitching staff because if you're a diehard, uh, this is the staff that I think you need to watch very closely.
1: I want to point this out, and this is you know something that I think is somewhat of an outlier if you're going to look at other high-A rosters next year. Cha Chasse is not going to turn 20 until June 9th. Uh, Juan de los Santos won't turn 21 until May 25th. Davy Cruz will turn 19 in February. You have the possibility of all three of these guys in a high-A rotation at very young age to be there. Um, So, you know, there might be some ups and downs, but all three of them are very high upside arms that I think with enough experience could really thrive in that environment.
2: Uh, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Javier, or (laughs) Keitae, Astros had a history of doing this with their international pitchers. This is the Orioles version. So let's see who the first one to break through out of these guys is. And it's exciting to see this international presence start to trickle up towards the upper minors now. So can't say enough good things about it. I mean,
0: we, we did say we were talking about some of these younger international guys with uh, someone in the organization. And the, the quote was, they're coming uh talking about those international guys so um when he said that i got a little chill down my spine there's the the way he said it and the smile on his face uh, they're coming um so yeah if if you have all these teenagers who and all these guys i think did have decent years there was that quote was that um kobe perez talking about how a lot of these guys were probably going to begin next year in Del Marva again some of whom we'll talk about here in a second but I mean, you saw Isaac De Leon get moved up to Aberdeen to close out last year, and just go on a tear at the end of the year. Um, Frederick Ben Cosme, talking about teenage bats, is he still only nineteen? Is he turned twenty? I know his birthday's on Christmas, so I don't think I think he doesn't turn twenty for another week. He's going to be in high A, like not just the pitchers, the bats as well. You're going to have a lot of young international guys who we assume would start next year again in Delmarva, but they're they've already got high experience under their belt, so
2: maybe they are coming christmas birthday that is hashtag legendary um (laughs) could you imagine if ben cosme like puts on some muscle this offseason and on top of just refining his game i mean he already doesn't strike out like man Mm -hmm. i feel like it could be a huge year for him and it's a tough ballpark to hit in obviously but just give him the shot if he gets to double ABA at some point next year that's like the chains are off yeah the international scene has
1: arrived well, if you we want to look at where maybe the top international prospect in the organization will be to start 2023, you can look at the Delmarva-Sorber's line for Samuel Basayo will be part of a group that includes last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, along with Creed, William, Creed Willems, Anthony Misael De Desone, returning from last year. Elio Prado, a guy with some upside, um, is going to be back there as well, according to Bob's projection. And you look at the rest of this group, uh, some interesting bats with Anderson De Los Santos, Douglas Hodo, and Carter Young. And then on the pitching staff, again, some interesting young arms, headlined by Carter Ballmer, who in the little bit of time that we saw him last year looked really sharp. Unfortunately, injuries limited his time in 2022, but certainly a lot of promise there. Juan Rojas is another interesting name to watch. Alfred Vega, who if you've heard, if you heard our last show, recapping the Wool 5 Draft a guy out of the Yankees system that has a very interesting profile. Luis Ortiz, a left-hander, still young left-hander, who we've been hearing about for a few years now because of a good curveball and some good pitches. He should to be part of Delmarva's rotation as well. So, Nick, I think it's kind of interesting to look at this roster and compare it to what the Shorebirds started out with last year, which is an extremely young roster. And outside of a guy like Daryl Hernays, not a ton of professional experience. This year's roster or this 2023 roster could be a little bit more balanced. And while I think you're going to see a lot of growing pains, there's also a good amount of upside here.
0: Yeah, I think watching this Delmarva team, it's going to be really fun to see like who takes that next step in 2023. Because like you mentioned, last year especially, there were a lot of... Growing pains is a good word to use. Um, I think a lot of, for a lot of people it was hard to watch the Still Mar team most nights. but at the same time we have to remember that it was a lot of young international players who 2020, the season that did not happen was supposed to be like their first full seasons of pro ball and they didn't get that. So the, those young international players were severely impacted by the pandemic. Now you've got the elimination of short season ball. so they're forced to make a pretty big jump into full season ball. Um, so like I just mentioned, we saw some of these guys take that major step forward in the year in high A. I think that says a lot about who those guys are as prospects, but you still got a few guys here like Michelle Deson, Elio Prado and Creed Willems, I think are the big three who are going to repeat. Willems ended last year on a really positive note. Um, Elio Prado got a nice write up in John's newsletter about the underlying battered ball data looking really good. And same thing with Michel Deson. I mean, we had Daryl Hernandez on the show saying Deson was the guy who impressed him the most. He was the sleeper in this organization. Um, hopefully he puts everything together and has a big year next year. That would be fantastic if he did. But I, I think among all these guys, for me, the the breakout is, and not just for this Marvin team, but for the entire organization, I think my breakout is Anderson De Los Santos just because – Again, he was also in John's piece about the underlying batted ball data. We've heard those numbers, I think, for a while now about his maturity, the baseball IQ for his age have been off the charts. Uh, And so hopefully next year, in Marva, he breaks out and has a fantastic season. Samuel Basayo, I mean, John's prediction of Basayo being a top five prospect next year was shocking and awesome. Uh, Even if that doesn't quite happen, that speaks volumes about what he's hearing from inside the organization. Um, so yeah it's this gonna be a really fun team pitching wise let look through here like yeah Juan Rojas Nunez Yaki Rivera Alfred Vega are the four guys with a lot of upside that I'm really excited to watch Preston Johnson's gained a lot of steam like, Carter Baumler yeah, like baseball gods if you're listening I will do anything anything if you just keep this man healthy next year <laughs> he teased us with a lot of beautiful innings last 11 beautiful innings last season. Uh, And unfortunately something else happened that ended the season prematurely, but this kid has not been able to pitch regularly since 2019. He was a junior in high school. I just want him to stay healthy because that stuff we've talked about this before outside of Grayson Rodriguez and DL hall. He probably had the highest ceiling in this organization, even with the new additions. I'd still say he's, top three, four highest ceilings in the entire organization as far as arms go.
2: Yeah. Hmm. And I wrote in this article that, you know, maybe a good idea for another article or podcast is to do individual watchability rankings where, you know, if all things are equal, who are you going to turn the MILB TV to for a giving at back? And I think Delmarva has the number one, at least for me in, in the system with Jackson Holiday, like this is a kid who could skyrocket up lists this year and compete for top five top 10 maybe who knows number one prospect in baseball i don't expect him to be with the shorebirds for long if he continues to do what he did at the end of last season super polished for such a young kid and not far behind is samuel for me like if he's up to bat i want to see what he can do with the baseball because what a freak of nature this guy is like can't wait to see him just crush some baseballs against older competition. And yeah, just Vivek mentioned, could you comprehend a left side of the infield of Jackson holiday and Anderson Taylor Santos? And I can, and I'm excited about it because these guys are young, talented, and could be, you know, the next, next wave of prospects in three or four years where, you know, up Gunnar Henderson, he's halfway through his Orioles tenure. Are they going to extend him, or are they going to make room for Jackson Holiday? I mean, let's not go that far down the road, because hopefully he gets signed to a 12-year extension this offseason. But, you know, you, you have to think ahead. And Ilya Prado, like you said, when you were talking about Mioli's pieces about exit velocity and swing, in-zone swing percentage, like he was another name that popped there. And Carter Young, I'm going to perpetually forget about him the overslot signing from this past draft when we couldn't get one of the other guys. We kind of wrote off Carter Young as like, yeah, if we get him, cool, but it's kind of a bonus. Well, we got that bonus, and he did perform pretty well last year. The pitching, Juan Rojas is number one for me, and newly acquired Alfred Vega is probably number two. But Carter Baumler, yeah, he's got to stay healthy because he still has that upside. And Reese Sharp, we talked about how we like him. And Preston Johnson, if Luis Ortiz is healthy. I think he's another one that could pop. And, you know, it's another one of these depth rankings for me where I have them at an eight and a half, like super fun team outside of holiday. Maybe no one that's like, wow, but just really fun roster right here. Could we, do you guys think there is any chance
0: though that Jackson holiday starts in Aberdeen? I mean, he wasn't supposed to play in Delmarva last year, but he did because he was so freaking good. And he was really, really good last year. And the
2: underlying data matches that up. Any possibility he starts in Aberdeen, do you think? I mean, I won't rule it Mm -hmm. out just because who's the starting shortstop at Aberdeen? Adam Crampton. I mean, I don't think he's going to hold back Mm -hmm. the development of a Mm -hmm. Holiday. But I would think maybe even Carter Young is a guy that could start at Aberdeen a little Mm -hmm. higher than I have and more than Holiday. I just think you're going to see more of like the Jordan Westbrook, Gunnar Henderson in 2021 type of uh, type of year for Holiday, but you never know.
1: Yeah, I definitely would not count it out um, just because of the upside that he has. And when you look in particular at his strikeout and walk numbers, Del Marva last year, that tells you that he has such an advanced plate approach for his age. If I had to guess, I think he does start back in Del Marva, but like Bob said, it probably should not be for a very long tenure. And if Aberdeen does start out with Adam Crampton at shortstop, they're going to have a very good defensive shortstop. Um, he's not going to hold back Jackson Holiday, but he's certainly a guy that I think could help that team out a lot while we wait for Jackson Holiday to hopefully have that meteoric Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg-type rise. I'll go down now to the FCL, which actually concludes this list. And, you know, soon notice a watchability rating for a team that you might not get to watch a lot of necessarily – next year, but an eight out of 10 is pretty good. And there's a reason for that. And that is because a lot of the international prospects that the Orioles acquired last year should factor in here, including Landro Arias, Braylon Tavera, Aaron Estrada, who was the big breakout story in the Dominican summer league this past season, a switch hitting infielder uh, with a good line drive stroke. Raylan Ramos was solid there as well. Michael Hernandez expected to go back and repeat the FCL. And then, on the pitching staff, you have Zach Showalter, who was drafted by the Orioles last year and looks like a guy that could break out. Still a little bit of a mystery because we didn't see him at all after the draft last year, but a young arm that could add some upside to this group. So, Bob, uh, we'll start with you here. Um, this is a, a roster that I think a lot of our listeners probably have heard some of these names. There may be some names on here that they haven't heard of, but... How would you assess this group?
2: It's it's kind of exciting. Aaron Estrada, the guy I didn't know I loved until, you know, we saw the numbers he was putting up. Didn't even register when we were talking about the international signings in January, but here he is. He's probably the guy I'm most excited about out of Braylon Tavera, Leandro Arias, and Edward Amparo, who I'm still excited about. Michael Hernandez, obviously not off to the best start in the world, but he's still got those tools and, you know, you're going to keep running him out there and trying to get things to click for him. And even on the bench here, like guys like Christian Benavidez, Alfredo Velasquez, Ellis Cuevas, these guys had fantastic DSL seasons. And we don't know how that like translate Raylan Ramos as well to once they get in the FCL. But one thing I heard about this is, you know, the FCL and DSL, yeah, they're playing games that count with box scores and stuff, but they're training throughout the whole summer. These are just the games that count. It's almost like if a third of someone's season is all that counted or half of the season. I don't know exactly, but, you know, it's, it's hard to really get a read on these stats and numbers and the Orioles in the player development know more about what's going on, what's working, what's not. And, you know, we're going to have to rely on Eric Garfield, our buddy, to uh, get some live looks, give his thoughts uh, once he gets to see these guys stateside. And, yeah, that pitching staff, like Cesar Alvarez and Anthony Murillo, two guys that I thought could have broken out this past season if they'd stayed healthy. Zach Showalter, maybe the next Carter Baumler without the injuries potentially. I mean, we don't know. It's a high school pitcher. The Orioles don't take many of them. The mystery of just not being able to see him or even look at a box score as a professional is kind of intriguing to me. And and then there's a bunch of these pitchers from the DSL as well, like Harif Frias and Jose Leandro, Luis De Leon, that seem to have electric stuff just based on the numbers. Obviously, we, we can't see much here, but I'm excited to – you know, get them a little bit closer to state side and being on our computer screen so we can watch them. Hurry Frias was a DSL all-star last year. So, uh, I mean, we,
0: we got something to cook in here, uh, this pitching staff. I just want to see something. Cause we talked about on like our recap show. You really didn't see too much intriguing, too many intriguing prospects down in the Florida complex league last season. Um, a lot of guys who didn't make it through the whole season. A lot of guys who got to Del Marva and ended up finding their way back to Sarasota. You're Steven Acevedos and those types of players. Hopefully this year these guys take a big step forward. I do think there's a lot of intrigue. You have a lot of older pitchers talking about Astros and their pitching development. The Orioles grabbed some of those older international guys. They signing they signed late in the year. Some of them signed mid season for you know the minimum i'm guessing is what they signed for since it was so late in the process the guys who were 20 maybe even 21 years old some of them but you're like jose leandro uh noel and cuevas andres para these are some interesting lefty guys who had really good dsl seasons so again like bob said we have no idea how this is going to translate wasn't cesar alvarez the guy who kobe perez came on our show and was like yeah he touches 100 and we were like who is cesar alvarez who is he talking about um yeah, maybe. I think it was him. I already forgot. But if so, like that's that's intriguing right there. Luis Cesario is a name that I'm just going to remember just because he was Paul part Fry-Tree. of Paul Fryjew. <laughs> but yeah, the bats. Like this is a bigger class. Leandro Arias was a guy who Fangraphs put what number fourteen or like a top twenty prospect last season after the Orioles signed him in that international class. So we've heard a lot of good stuff about his bat, bat- ball data as well. So it'll be good to see him stateside. Aaron Estrada doesn't turn 18 until mid-January. I just looked. He was an all-star last year in the DSL, 45 games, in OPS over 1,000. I know take DSL stats with a huge grain of salt. And I honestly don't even spend too much time looking at them. But when you OPS over 1,000 as a 17-year-old and you have more walks than strikeouts, he had 29 walks, to just 23 strikeouts, that could portend to something pretty good moving forward. So he's tiny. What's he listed at? I've had it and lost it. He's listed 5'8, 142. So a tiny kid, but the guy hit the ball a lot last year. I'm oh, intrigued. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Raylan Ramos and Gene Mata to me are the two names that I, I want to see what they got. They had good seasons in the DSL as well. And Braylon Tavera is still the guy. He was the headliner that last year's international class, but I still, you know, Fangraphs didn't have him in what, like their top 50. Uh, Orioles rankings I mean Tavera is just you don't see a lot of hype around him so I don't I don't I'm waiting to see for myself like what excites me about Braylon Tavera to be completely honest but he's like you said he's one step closer for us seeing uh, for
2: ourselves Alejandro Mendez was the guy that was touching 100 you and reminds mm-hmm. us that does sound correct there you go but I know Cesar Alvarez was a guy that you know had a fantastic 2021 in the DSL and I feel like maybe that's the reason that the FCL was so screwed up last year as far as pitching goes, just because Marillo, Alvarez, Ortiz, a bunch of guys that rang hell, like Chasse, injuries, injuries, injuries. And I know some of those guys were with Del Mar, but not the FCL. But some of these international pitchers really didn't even get to put up any if uh, many innings this past season.
1: For the full list of projected rosters, go over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Click on the Orioles tab. You'll scroll down and find Bob's article there. Uh, you can see the full list as well as Bob's write ups there as a companion piece to listening to this episode. And we'll transition now into talking about some of the Orioles' recent free agent acquisitions. But first, the wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top rated sportsbook apps, is officially live in Maryland. Now you can legally bet on all your favorite sports with DraftKings anytime and anywhere right here in Maryland. For a limited time, new customers who sign up with promo code ON THE VERGE will receive $200 in free bets instantly. Why not roll the dice on the Baltimore Orioles in 2023? Use one of your free bets on the Orioles to win the 2023 World Series and turn a $50 free bet into $1,800. DraftKings has the best features, including same-game parlays, unlimited player props, and more with fast and easy payouts right at your fingertips. DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go for all my sports betting needs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and use promo code on the to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the birds. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1 800 Gambler. Must be 21 years or older, physically present in Maryland. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. See slash Maryland MD. For full terms and conditions. Since our last episode last week, the Orioles have signed two free agents to one-year contracts, including utility man Adam Fraser and reliever Michael Gibbons. Uh, Gibbons, a familiar name to Orioles fans, originally drafted by the Orioles years ago as a shortstop, eventually came through the system as a pitcher and was a member of the really the last two good teams that uh, we've seen in Baltimore, 2015 and 2016, um, and then was around the Orioles until the 2020 trade deadline when he was sent to the Colorado Rockies as part of a package that included Tyler Nevin, Taron Babra, and De Soon. Since then, Givens has pitched for three different teams and has been traded at back-to-back trade deadlines, 2021 and 2022. He ended last year with the Mets, and really the way to summarize Michael Givens now is that if you saw Michael Givens with the Orioles, Uh, a few years ago, he's pretty much still that Michael Gibbons. Um, Still a guy who's going to strike out a lot of batters, probably walk more than you would like. One notable change last year that we saw was Gibbons' ground ball rate did spike by just over 6%, while his home run-to-fly ball rate did dip slightly, though his fastball velocity was down a little bit. So some underlying numbers there to consider. And of the two signings, we'll start with Gibbons because – it's probably the move that doesn't prompt much um, discussion about what the rest of the roster looks like other than that Michael Gibbons is going to be in the bullpen somewhere so Nick where are your thoughts here
0: it's fine I haven't really like <laughs> I saw this right before trying to put uh, you know kids down for bedtime and get ready for this show so haven't really uh you know processed fully and I I, I cannot do like the instant hot take reaction thing. But all I will say is that, yeah, like you mentioned the stats, he's been consistent. We know uh, his past year in Baltimore, what he's done on the mound. I really don't have an issue with it at all. It was what? What is he getting? $3 million guaranteed, I think it was. There's escalators. There's options. I don't know what the final thing is. I'm more curious about what does this mean in terms of, like, is there a relief rel- reliever trade happening? Who's getting DFA'd? I'm not sure. Uh, It's definitely interesting. I think if if the Orioles would have already dressed the starting rotation, this would kind of be a non-story outside of Michael Gibbons is back. Um, All right, cool. But (laughs) since he's like the one of the highest-paid now players on this roster this year, uh, it is a little bit more interesting. But. I don't have an issue with it. Bullpen arms. I mean, I'm against giving bullpen arms, big money, um, regardless of who they are, especially when a team like the Orioles, who's done a very good job of getting these waiver claims and turning them into useful pieces. And we know how volatile relief arms can be, but uh, I'm interested to hear some explanation behind it about why the Orioles decided to bring him in. And I don't think any of that's been talked about yet, but we'll see what comes out in the next couple of days, I guess.
2: Yeah. Familiar name, familiar face. He's a veteran reliever, you know, just get some veteran presence in the bullpen on a nightly basis. Maybe that's underrated, but as Vivek made a great point in our patron WhatsApp group, that this is probably not what Andrew Pilati wanted to see the mm-hmm. rule five pick, trying to make the Orioles out of spring training and yeah, maybe Dylan Tate, Saino Perez, like could it mean that one of these guys is going to be valued highly by another team in a, an upcoming trade for starting pitcher? Who knows? We'll see, but At the worst case, it's just a cheap veteran bullpen arm that's going to take like the Joey Crable role of the 6th, 7th inning, if you want to call that high leverage. So, I mean, he's been consistent. He's pretty much going to have an ERA between 3 and 350 for the most part. He's going to get ground balls. He's going to walk a couple guys, but he's going to strike out a bunch of guys. He's 32. He's not old, but he's not exactly young either. It's kind of a nothing burger. Like, this is just, yeah, a steady, decent arm just build on our strength and yeah there really is not a lot to say about signing a reliever for a mid mid bullpen option
1: yeah so i'll read a report here from mark feinstein over at mlb.com Givens is going to receive a three million dollar salary next season the option price for 2024 is valued at six million dollars this is a mutual option between the orioles and gibbons for 2024 meaning both sides have to exercise it in order for him to be back. If Givens would decline his end of next year's option, he would receive a $1 million buyout. However, if he triggers that option, but the Orioles decline their side of the option, he'll receive a $2 million buyout. Um, If both sides exercise it, it's $6 million for the 2024 campaign. The move has not been announced by the Orioles at the time we're recording this, which is Monday night. In fact, the news just broke a couple of hours ago. The 40-man roster did stand at 40 players when this roster, when this uh, transaction was first reported. So someone will get DFA'd, but it's still a question at this point of who. Um, earlier last week, the Orioles signed utility man Adam Fraser to a one-year, $8 million contract. Fraser was an all-star in 2021 with the Pirates, and then was traded to the Padres as they made their not very successful attempt uh, at a playoff push that season. Fraser then went to the Mariners last year and saw his numbers regress in a lot of areas offensively. He has, however, remained a consistently solid defender at second base and continues to maintain good um, chase rate numbers, walks at a high clip, does not strike out. So for the Orioles, this seems to be a move built on two ideas. Number one, that in what could be kind of a platoon scenario, Frazier gives you that left-handed bat who you know is going to be a steady hand at second base and can play the corner outfield spots. The other factor is they seem to believe they can get Adam Frazier back to a better version of himself. I should add a better version of Adam Frazier is not a guy that's going to bring a lot of power to the lineup and is not going to hit the ball particularly hard, but he's going to make contact. He's going to get on base. He's not going to strike out. So I guess where I'll start, because I think this is really the more interesting question for us as a minor league. cell. So, I'll start with Bob here, which is that it does feel like while Fraser fills a need that the Orioles probably have when you look at their roster right now, um, could Taron Vavra have conceivably done the same thing? Or do you think that maybe the floor with Fraser is higher and that's why the Orioles are making this move? Because, as I'm looking at it to me, there's a clear redundancy between Fraser and Vavra if we're considering them for next year's opening day roster.
2: Yeah, it's funny you asked that cuz I was about to say it seems the Orioles are asking the question, why play Taryn Vavra when you could sign Taryn Vavra for 8 million and play him instead. But uh no, I think you know, I think that the Orioles are not exactly thrilled with Vavra's defense at second base. I think we just we know that just the way they played him last year, you know, playing Rugnetto, Dor over anybody. It's not exactly a, a, a pat on the back as far as we trust your defense. But I, maybe they envision Vavra more as a center field, left field type. And Frazier's a guy that can man second base. He's got a really good glove there, uh, you know, consistent with the ground ball pitchers they're bringing in with the defense that we had last year. And yeah, I don't think he's blocking anyone per se. But I do expect him to start second base pretty much every day for the first half of the season as guys like Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg get, you know, acclimated to the major league level or get ready to get promoted to the major league level. And then he can maybe play more corner outfield when that time comes or be a utility guy off the bench. Hopefully that's the case. But I think if you're the Orioles and this is the the balance part that's kind of tough where, you know, you want... Obviously, you don't want to block the young guys, but you also don't want to rely on guys with no major league experience coming into a season in which you're hoping to contend for a playoff spot. So I feel like it's kind of just playing the middle game there where he can start the season every day in the lineup. And hopefully, as guys graduate to the majors and prove that they belong there and are going to be above average players, regulars at second base or whatever position, then he can slide into a utility backup role. And hopefully, that's the case. But yeah, it wasn't exactly the sexiest signing in the world, but I can see the reason they did it and what they're thinking here, even if it doesn't uh, give Orioles Twitter much reason to be happy. It
0: does anything at this point? Um, but yeah, at first, like I honestly did not like the move. I thought it was unnecessary. Started to kind of find myself drifting towards that side of the fandom that's up in arms about what's happened, or more importantly what hasn't happened this offseason but at this point this is why i like to sit on this for a couple of days um it's i'm fine with the move like clearly the orioles value defense like we went over this with the Jamai jones civil war we went over this last year with Taryn vavra at second base like they're not going to put those guys there we had to watch rudy O'Dor almost every night at second base because the defense because the leadership he brought blah 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 we know that but like Frazier has that solid defensive floor. We know that even in the outfield, like the defensive numbers, I know not Wright likes those, take them for what you will, but the publicly available defensive numbers that we have, he wasn't terrible in the outfield either. So I, I, I'm fine with that. You know, you raised the floor. Vicks made this comment a couple of times there. You're raising the floor of the defense, which I'm cool with. Um, as far as like offensive numbers, we know who Frazier is. Like they're not signing him because they think they can unlock something. Like He's not going to be a 275, 300 hitter or above a 300 hitter who hits 20-plus home runs. Like He's a career 273 hitter who's pretty much league average with every metric, except he has fantastic control of the strike zone. Um, is it redundant that they have him in Vavra? I don't think he blocks Vavra. I think Vavra can still play. I still think Taron Vavre is going to be a big leaguer for a very long time in some capacity with some organization. I just think he's still an unproven prospect, right? He could totally regress next season, and maybe he doesn't have that control. Maybe he's not getting on base like he was last year or like he was in the minor leagues. Maybe his strikeouts climb as pitchers adjust to him, and he can't adjust back. We don't know. Frazier's there as the safe floor to fall back on, if so. And you can still – Work him more, and more gradually, because I think that's the thing. Like, even if Jordan Westberg comes up, is he going to play every single day at his position? I doubt it. Connor Norby's not. Joey Ortiz isn't. Like, I think the Orioles are going to gradually work their guys in and put creative lineups together every single night. And so, for that instance, like it's one year, eight million dollars. He's not brought in to block anybody, and I don't necessarily think it means someone's getting traded as soon as possible. Everyone wants to immediately trade off Jordan Westberg because we signed Adam Frazier. I don't. I don't personally see that connection, but.
2: Yeah, I mean, if Adam Frazier would have repeated 2021, he probably would have got, what, two years, 20 million, two years, 24 million, something like that. And they think he's a guy that is going to be able to bounce back. I, I love the the quote from Adam Frazier interview where it's like the front office and him are exactly on the same page about how to improve from the Bad year he had this past season. And, you know, he's basically a league average hitter. If you can get league average hitter at a second base with above average defense, that's a big improvement over what we had last year. That's for sure. And then hopefully you have a chance to even improve upon that in the second half once guys like Connor Norby and Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz are ready to, to take over.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Taryn Vavra spent some time in the IL at Norfolk last year. And I'm looking over his numbers now and between the major leagues and the minor leagues last year. So that includes some time rehabbing with Aberdeen. He ended up with just 39 games at second base. Um, Now, obviously he missed a good chunk of time, as I mentioned with injury, but the Orioles have sort of been moving him into more of that utility mold. He spent 17 games in center field at Norfolk compared to 22 at second base. So, it's still it's going to be interesting to me to figure out how Fraser and Vavra fit onto this roster together, but perhaps it is that Vavra is more of a left-handed hitting fourth or fifth outfielder who plays second base sometimes while your true second baseman is Adam Fraser.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know, if Vavra does stick around through this period and Frazier's a one-and-done kind of guy – he's a player that if he's on the bench with this guy and it's spring training with this guy, he can learn a lot from him going forward. So, you know, there are similar players, but Fraser's a veteran. Maybe he can teach Vavra, even if it's just through osmosis, so just being around him that, you know, here's how to be a successful veteran or not veteran, but just major leaguer and the process of a, that type of player can go through to stay I don't know, consistent, I don't know, healthy, whatever, but I just feel like he could learn from him or he can knock him out and take his job at some point during the season. Not literally knock him out, but yeah. – I mean,
0: none of the none of this is sexy. None of this is fun. I think to really talk about like we're we're struggling here to come up. I think with an interesting conversation with Adam Frazier, <laughs> uh, like I am at least. But like it's it's fine. I think like it's it's a safe signing. And if this was an extra signing after they signed someone else big, it wouldn't be really talked about. I think it would be a lot more positive. Like yeah, we don't know exactly what we have in Teren Viber. We don't know exactly what we have in Kyle Stowers. Like what if Kyle Stowers is hitting two. 215, striking out 40% of the time and just can't bring it next season. I hope not. But what if that's the case? Adam Frazier's not going to do that. And you can plug Frazier into the outfield. Um, so I, I think that's your fallback option. Again, I don't think this means that the organization is ready to trade Stowers or Vavra or Westberg or anybody. It's just, it's just one of those things right now. And, and, you know, maybe if it does, like thinking about it, like what if this does lead to a trade? Let me feed into that, like, I'd imagine it's more likely. Does would this mean that Ramon Arias is possibly in a move? There's a lot of conversations there with other teams, and the Orioles think they're going to be able to pull the trigger there with Ramon Arias trade. I think it'd be that'd be more likely than the Orioles about to trade a bunch of prospects. If I'm being honest, but I what do I know what this
2: with this <laughs> craft? Jorge Mateo to the Braves in a package for Max Freed. Let's go.
1: Well, uh, we got a lot of the off season left. This is a few notes here. First of all, Nick, happy birthday. So we wrap up our last live show of 2022 on Nick's birthday. Mm -hmm. However, we are going to have a new episode out next week that will be pre-recorded. So if something happens that pisses off Orioles Twitter between now and next Monday, and we don't have reaction to it, know that it's because it was recorded before that thing happened. But we still got a fun show in the works. you're going to want to check that out. And if you're a member of our Patreon community, we might have a fun surprise coming for you here um, in the next week or so. And if you're not a patron member yet, you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. So consider doing that. Also, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, where you will not only find um, Bob's projected rosters, but you'll also see coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're on the site, be sure to join the discussion with fellow readers, as well as contributors over at the message board and follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach and you've been listening to on the Verge.
2: That'll do it for this week's episode of on the Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.